Healthy Kingdom families, and we had a marriage encounter weekend. Uh, so much fun this weekend. And uh, I want you to think of it like this. It was kind of like an immersion event. You kind of come, get washed, get immersed in it. But now we need a way to walk it out. So whether you came to the conference or not, we've got a way for you to walk it out. I'm going to ask David and Victoria. They were, uh, they were friends who traveled uh, here for the conference. They've been through this multiple times, and they're going to come tell us about it before we get going. So David and Victoria, come up. let's give them a Columbus welcome here. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Pastor Jim. Yeah. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. Uh, I'll share with you very quickly what I shared in the car on the way here. Uh, as many of you probably do, I have a very colorful past, one that I am not proud of. Uh, it's my testimony. I know you all have yours. When I submitted my life to Christ fully, wholeheartedly, and I said, Lord, I am yours one of the things I submitted was who I wanted to spend my life with. And I said, Lord, your time. When the time was right, I met Victoria. Nine days after I met her, I proposed. Seven months later, we were married and we just celebrated 27 years of marriage. Glory to God, glory to God. It was a blessing to share this stage with couples who have gone before us, like Jim and Mary. We waited Ryan. double that length, so just so you know. So. <laughs> Ryan and Alicia and Chris and Tara who were here, you saw their picture on screen earlier. It is a blessing to run marriage and run life with a spouse who loves the Lord as much as my wife does, with couples who love the Lord like we do. It, it has been a blessing and an honor to be here. The ministry that we are here uh, helping Chris and Tara with, and I, ho I hope that most of you had a chance to meet them, is all about marriage. And it's our heart. There's so many issues in the nation. If you've got a strong marriage, your family's gonna be strong. Amen. Your community's gonna be strong. Your church is gonna be strong. Our nation is gonna be strong. If you're just clinging on by a thread to your marriage, there is hope. Yeah. There is hope. And just so you know, God told me the first night that I met him that we would get married. He says that guys are a little bit slower. He knew it day four, but they make up for it in the barbecue department. God called us very quickly. We were prophesied over before we were married that we would have a ministry that we never had separately that we would have together and God called us very quickly into marriage ministry and so over the last 27 years we've had the opportunity to work with amazing ministries and different books and DVDs and conferences and what God has put together with Tara and Chris Borghese and Dr. Rome with Marriage Insights Institute is the most amazing material that we have ever experienced. We have watched people go through this God-inspired training and have divorce papers on the table. And in two or three weeks into this curriculum, they have already made the decision to work and fight for their marriage. And we have watched people who have sat this far apart from each other. A year later, oh my gosh, you can't get anything between them. <laughs> it's so amazing. So I know that it's going to be taught here in person. Uh, Ryan and Alicia, if you guys could stand up. Yeah, Ryan and Alicia. They're going to be doing the intensive class with six weeks. Yes, it's six weeks. But I'm just telling you, once you get into this material, you're like, oh my gosh, when's the next class? Oh, I can't miss. And no one ever misses a class because you learn and what you gain is so impactful about who God made you. Do you know that no one else in the world has your fingerprint? Yeah. 
and that God made you perfect in his image. And in this curriculum, you're going to learn how God made and designed you, each and every one of you, perfectly designed and knitted together. And then you're going to learn how God made your spouse. And those little things that annoy you right now, you're going to finally understand how God made him. And you're going to be able to go, oh, wow. Over this conference weekend, David asked, he said, what was your favorite part? And I said, hearing the light bulbs go off. Bing, 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 the couple who sat next to us. He said, oh my gosh, that's Ben. And I finally had to turn next to him and go, who's Ben? He goes, it's my boss. And I'm like, Ben. And later, Ben did something that only Ben would do based on the material. Was that not true? Yep. And it gives you this understanding. So not only does it impact your life and your marriage, which then impacts your family and your legacy, it will allow you to have the tools to be able to impact your city, which in the declaration that you guys just made, that you would impact your city. Oh, man, same DNA. Our church is called City Reach. And God has given us a vision to reach 400,000 people in the most unchurched city in Texas, Austin, Texas. So if you join us in prayer, that would be great. And it's happening. 30,000 people came to the Lord last year. Amazing. Amazing. So we're on our way. But I want you to know, if you don't have hope, go find Alicia and Ryan. If your marriage is good, this will take it even better. Amen. So you. good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, yeah, February 8th is starts. The six weeks will be on Thursday nights at uh, 630, not 7 o'clock, 630. And so uh, click the QR code to register. If you're online, you can go to our uh, zionequip.com address. Are you guys ready? I've got an important announcement to make, so please listen carefully. You guys ready for this? Not everybody is having problems in their marriage. <laughs> Listen, God's moving in this area. All right? I think no matter what the world's experiencing, the, the Bible says uh, it's, it's unwise to compare yourself with, with yourself. And so if you're just looking it around and, man, everybody's marriage is in trouble, God's doing something in marriages. God created marriage, and he has a way to make it work properly. Okay? And so it's important to realize that when God created marriage, he made it so it would only work with God's kind of love. And so we, we started hinting at this. We're going we're gonna to dive into this. But just like an oil lamp needs oil, just like a Tesla needs a battery, marriage needs God's kind of love. It doesn't work without it, okay? So in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, there's four different words for love. Now, in English, we just kind of blend them all together, right? It's like I love my wife. I love sports cars that have angry-sounding exhausts that have V8 engines in them. And I love my dog. Like, it just kind of all comes up. Well, I hope that the way that I love my dog and my wife are two totally different ways, right? Like, you know, a whole lot deeper thing. I was just an example. That wasn't all that I love. My wife says, what about, what about the children? Yes, I love the children as well. I love Zion. I love raspberries, okay? But my, my, I love table tennis. And so, um, but I want you to see this is the, and so... In, in Greek, they had different words that could describe different aspects. They had one word for friendship. They had one word for sexual love. They had another. But they had to come up with a completely different word for God's kind of love. So the word is agape. It's kind of spelled like agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. And uh, what, the word was hardly ever used before Jesus' time. And it's like the Bible began using it and kind of like baptize it. It kind of had to infuse it with samini because God's kind of love, it's so different than anything else. It's like finding... Like an orange tree in the Arctic Circle. You're like, where did this come from? This, like, you're not expecting it. It's a completely different kind of love. And so um, in 1 John 4, we get the ultimate definition. God is love. I want you to get this. Agape is not an emotion that God has. Okay? It's, it's, uh, it's his very nature. So they didn't have a word for love, so they had to infuse this word with new kind of meaning. So they began telling stories in the Old Testament. Remember, remember Hosea? Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament, and God's like, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. Now listen, as soon as he found out her name was Gomer, he should have known things were about to go horribly wrong, okay? <laughs> like, my apologies to any Gomers in the audience here, but um, 
So he says, I want you to marry Gomer. And here's the thing. She had unfaithfulness in her heart from the very beginning. God's like, I want you to marry her anyway. So it wasn't before, long before uh, the unfaithfulness began to manifest. She's hanging out with the young Hollywood elites all over Israel, and she begins having an affair. And then she uh, decides to go into prostitution. So she's making a fool of her husband. Here's this prophet of the nation, and it's clear. She despised her husband. She's humiliating him. She's shaming him. And uh, when her many lovers tired of her, her pimp decides to sell her as a slave on the auction block uh, to the highest bidder. Now imagine Hosea. I mean, he'd been deeply hurt. This guy had some reasons, uh, biblical reasons, to get a divorce even, uh, the shame of a public scandal. And now with his wife on sale as a slave in the, uh, on, the, um, on the slave stand, here's what God says. He, he, said, he told her, that, I want you to go and purchase your wife and reinstate her. Listen to these words. Love the woman who has despised you. Seek her highest good. Bring her to your, highest, bring her to your house. Protect and care for her. Now listen, human love, it's going to reject that person. This person hurt me. Maybe I even feel like I've got a right to hurt them back until they've paid for it. No, no, this, this woman wasn't even repentant. So when I say that God is love, it is the most radical statement that, that has ever hit the ears of human beings. When I speak of God's kind of love, I'm not saying it's like human love on a super saiyan status. Any Dragon Ball Z fans out there for super saiyan status? Okay, we got a couple. We got a couple. It's not like God's love, like multiply. It's not like human love multiplied over. It's like, wow, it's a really good human kind of love. There's no comparison. I'm not saying that God's love is like limitless human love, okay? Uh, God is love. He doesn't have love. So you and I have love, which means it can be greater one day in human love, and it can kind of diminish another day. Like when someone does something that makes our heart go pitter-patter, we feel these feelings of love, and when they do something not so nice, our feelings fade, right? That's having love. God doesn't have love. He is love. It's the essence of his being. It's always on a full-blast tsunami. There's no dial switch. There's no dimmer. There's not even an on-off switch. He's not merely loving, Okay. He loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. This is like nuclear level truth, is that God loves you unconditionally. What does that mean? Regardless of your condition. Whether you're fasting and praying or whether you're sinning, I, I'm trying to think of another thing with an ing, sinning and debauchering. I, I don't even know. Like, uh, another bad wording, all right? But see, uh, human love's not like that. Human love is, is not unconditional. And so you look at it, your teenager come home from school, and they say that uh, they've fallen in love. What do they mean? They mean, I have found someone to pour this river of unconditional love on me, and I'm going to bless them and love them regardless of whether it's reciprocated, regardless of how they treat me. No, that's not what they mean. They mean, man, I found someone who's hot. I mean, someone who makes me feel good. Someone has aroused something on the inside of me, right? I think I shared this last week, but when I fell in love with Mary, it wasn't because of the greatness of me. It wasn't because I'm just walking around in pure love, and I'm like, all right, you're it. Covenant time. I'm going to pour my love. No, no. She was beautiful. She laughed at my jokes, and she liked karate movies. I'm like, that's the only three things I needed. And so <laughs> found the perfect woman. So human love depends on the beauty of the beloved. God's kind of love depends on him. Okay? And what I'm getting to, guys, is we're going to get to tap into this kind of love here. And so but I'm going to show you how to do that next week. Anyway, so... Um, we th- uh, so we th- what happens is we think that uh, we begin to project this onto God. We begin to think God is a lot like our kind of love. So when I'm reading my Bible, God's like, oh, man, I'm going to so bless them. And when we're not reading our Bible, not going to church, sinning and debaucherying, um, then all of a sudden he's going to withhold blessing. We begin to project this onto God. And what happens is whoever God is to you, he will be through you. If you see God as judgmental, angry, nitpicky, performance-oriented, guess what? You're going to begin to give out love and represent him as angry, nitpicky, Facebook, how you doing? Picketing signs up there, God hates, fill in the blank. What would you rather have? I say this. A Muslim gathering or a dead church? They're the same thing. Completely devoid of the spirit of God, all human works. That was free. That was free. See, guys, when you understand that God's love towards you is unconditional, it's life-changing. It flips everything around. Listen, in order for us to become love, we have to be able to receive this kind of love. And when we think God's dealing with us based on this program, listen, the only place that we're going to find this kind of love is from heaven. We've got to be able to receive it from a different realm. We're going to be talking about this. 
So religion teaches us God loves you because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of what we've promised. Oh, God, I'm going I'm to rededicate my life, and I promise to double the efforts. Oh, they're making these promises. Pitter-patter, pitter-patter. We just think, you know, guys, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God does not love you because of what you have done. He loves you because of who he is. If he were to stop loving, he would cease to exist because he is love. So to review, we're in a series called Healthy Kingdom Families, which is one of the five things we go after. In part one, we looked at the goal of marriage, and I made up a really long sentence that I wish I was shorter, but the goal of marriage was to intentionally create a loving, intimate connection that multiplies our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. It was good. Go listen to it. Um, in the second part, we looked at how marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A covenant, not a contract. When you have a contractual relationship, it's based on expectations. If you do these certain things, then I will do these certain things. If you don't do these certain things, then we have no relationship. You hire a plumber, he fixes the plumbing, then you have an, uh, in that contract, you will pay them. They don't fix, they don't show up, you don't pay, right? That's how a lot of people approach marriage. You do these things, you make me happy, you do, you know, whatever my expectations are, you do these things, I will stick around and I will make you happy as well. And as soon as, as soon as something's broken, expectations don't go as met, the contract breaks. But uh, God called marriage a covenant, which means it's unilateral, which means I'm in this for your benefit, not just my benefit. Okay? Uh, my love is a choice. Um, it's unconditional, means regardless of what you do. For better, for worse, for sick or for poor, for rich or health, no matter what. We just need to start adding that into the marriage vows. No matter what, till death do us part. Um, it's permanent. Guys, if it's not permanent, it doesn't create a, you're never going to have intimacy. The foundation of intimacy is I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. No matter what's going to happen. So it means that the real you can show up and come out and play. You're never going to be able to take off your armor and see who the other person really is if they're afraid that, ooh, if they come out and I see the real them, I'm going to punish them. I'm going to withdraw. So God only works with unconditional, a covenant only works with unconditional love. So now we're going to talk about unconditional love. So you guys ready? I'm looking at it as a supernatural force. God's kind of love is the supernatural force that binds a marriage together. Remember, we talked about how marriage only works with a third party. Okay, and God is that third party. Marriage was never intended to operate outside of God's kind of love. So here's what I want to do. I want us to do a, a diagnostic here. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to look at God's kind of love, and we're going to see, you know, I probably have not exhausted the limits of God's love in my marriage relationship or any other relationship, okay? It's not a time to feel condemned, but I want us to feel convicted so we can go, you know what? I've got a better way. But I want you guys to get this. When we're looking at the Bible, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as a book of rules, or you can look at it as a mirror. A book of rules tell you uh, how far you've fallen short and what you need to do. A mirror tells you who you now are. Amen. So when we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at love, we're not just going, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I, am, I am not being kind. I, I have not been patient. Okay, I think it's good to see. Okay, because it's an alarm going off. You know what? There's, I've, I've got access. But God is love. Where is, God, where is God's address? Well, he lives in heaven, too. But guess what? His new address is also in you. See, when you got born again, your spirit and his spirit became one spirit. So you now have perfect love living on the inside of you, and he wants out. Not to leave, but to express himself through you. So when we're looking at uh, love is patient, love is kind, we're not going, oh, man, that's not me. We're looking to a mirror and saying, wow, I had no idea this is what I now have access to. Now, the danger was I was going to make this into two messages and combine them in one. I'm going to tell you how to activate the supernatural next week. I just can't do it all in one message, so just forgive me. I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit, but I'm going to give us something to hang on to. You guys okay? So I want us to see this. The Bible is a book. Uh, it's not a book of rules. It's a mirror that shows us who we now are. And I think someone was reading the James 1 passage. Um, Jen was reading it this morning. And uh, it says, the, um, the word of God is like a mirror. And the person who looks at it, don't be like the person who looks at it and then walks away and forgets the kind of person they are. That's a New Living Translation. Okay, so as we're reading this, I want us to see who we now are, what we have access to, but also diagnose and go, you know what? I, I think I could have an upgrade in my love. Okay, you guys ready? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 3 through 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. Um, if I give away all I possess to the poor, and I give my, over my body to hardship that I, may, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Interesting, this, this verse is often read at weddings, the love chapter, but it's actually in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. 
is 1 Corinthians 13 here. And so 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are two whole uh, chapters about the gifts of the Spirit. Interesting. So it's often, it's interesting. Churches that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they kind of use this as the love chapter, even though it's the whole motivation for the gifts of the Spirit in the context. But anyway, that's free. Remember dead churches? There we go. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but always rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So again, we're going to use this like an inventory to see if we're walking in God's kind of love so that we can see what we also have available. Like, man, this would be incredible in a marriage. So here we go. Um, let's start with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I, give away, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship, in other, another translation, if I give my body to be burned by the flames, in other words, I'm, I'm becoming a martyr. Like I'm giving my life over, but I, uh, but I have not love, I gain nada. Boy, that is, that is an interesting verse. And so having God's kind of love is the most important thing we can have. He's like, you can do all these other things. You can work hard. You can provide for your family. You can sacrifice. You can wash the car. You can mow the grass. You can fold the laundry. You can have slippers waiting at the door. You can do all these things. But you know what? Uh, a lot of people, they try to show their love by working hard to provide things. But it's a poor substitute for God's kind of love. Okay, th those things are great. Those are byproducts of love, serving each other. But if that's, how you, if that's the only way you're showing your love, it's a poor substitute. Okay, and so God's got something better for us. So what, what's, the, what's the better thing? Uh, let's look at the next phrase. Love is patient. Let's just all repent right now. Lord, we just, you know. <laughs> My goodness gracious, love is patient. Love is patient unless the other spouse is running late. No, it doesn't say any of that stuff. So um, I remember I was in this uh, staff meeting. I was on staff at another church. And uh, the pastor had us read this book. It was some, um, like, business book. And one of the things was teams need to be able to have robust discussions. You know, at, at the, when we come to the table, we're all equals. Everybody's idea is equal. So we can banter around ideas and be completely honest with each other, which was not the culture at the time. The culture was, um, you know, you looked at, you know, whatever the pastor thought, that's what you did. And if you disagreed with him, uh, you're going to be punished publicly and privately. Okay. And so... Um, so anyway, so uh, I'm reading this book, and I'm like, this is kind of exciting. I, I think I've got some ideas that I'd like to share. And so, <laughs> and so uh, the senior pastor starts off the meeting with, um, hey, um, I, I just need to let everybody know, uh, for staff members, no more holding your babies in service. I was like, wow, I'm the only one who has a baby. <laughs> Out of 16 staff members, I'm like, I wonder if he's talking to me. So normally I would bow my head in shame and, you know, kowtow to the company line, but we've got this opportunity to have robust discussions. This is like a function of a healthy team. And so I said, hey, um, I, th I think you're talking about me since I'm the only one who has a baby here. I said, can I give you a different view? I said, literally every week I have someone come up and say, it's so great to see a hands-on dad. We love seeing you kissing your kids and love on them. And so um, I will never forget, he did all of this with a smile on his face. I could just begin to see the blood boil. His face turned red, but he kept this smile on his face like a psychopathic clown or something. It's like, hmm. See, a lot of people think patience is no more than holding back anger. <laughs> I really want to get this guy. We got this stupid, robust discussion thing here. Hmm. Guys, listen, even in the best marriages, somebody's going to rub you wrong. Okay, and if you don't have God's kind of love, what's going to happen is you're going to start venting your frustrations, and you're going to feel justified in it, right? All the marriage techniques, the communication techniques in the world, they aren't going to work if you have anger in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you can use these techniques. <laughs> I feel like you're a jerk, you know, and so... Like, you can use all these communication techniques, but if what's on the inside is rotten, guess what's going to come out on the outside? All right. Love is kind. Love is kind. I remember, uh, so uh, when I was on staff at that same church, we got to do, uh, we would visit people and did a lot of stuff like that. We took different turns doing it. 
And I'll never forget, I would go to this one lady's house, and I was supposed to pray for her kid or something. And it was summertime, the windows were open, they had screens in, and she must not have seen my car pull in the driveway, and she is laying into her kids. I mean, she is ripping them, calling them worthless, she's cussing at them, screaming. I hope she was stomping or pounding or something. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And I'm sitting there with my finger by the doorbell thing. I'm like, what, what do I do? Do I, like, leave and come back? Do I, like, like you know? And so, ding dong. And um, so, so, so I just hit it, you know, hit the thing there. And, um, oh, she comes out. Oh, Pastor Jim, you know, it's so good to see you and everything. I'm like, oh, you know, here, here's the thing, guys. Who you are at home, that's the real you. Okay, wherever you have the most power, that's the real you. And so I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just trying to say, I'm trying to help us diagnose. You know, if you treat strangers, the waitress or waiter at the restaurant, kinder than you do your family, that is not God's kind of love. God has got something way better for us. Like, Jim, we didn't expect this today. We do not have the right, the God-given right to dump on our family and kids because we've had a bad day. Okay, they're the ones who, who need our supernatural kindness the most. So when it comes to humans, oftentimes we move in counterfeit kindness. You know what that's called? Manipulation. All right? This is when uh, I'm going to do something nice for you because I want something nice in return. Right? And so, um, you know, if, if, uh, if I want physical intimacy for my wife and so I'm doing extra nice things, I don't know how wives know it. They can sniff out counterfeit <laughs> motives somehow. It's like, why are you rubbing my feet? I don't know. <laughs> I would go a little higher, you know. I mean, so. In order for it to be kindness, there has to be no ulterior motive. I don't know how they sniff this stuff out. Human kindness expects something in return, right? Supernatural kindness is because of who we are. We even see this in evangelism. Churches will go and they'll do these acts of kindness. And so they're going to clean up graffiti from the wall or pick up trash. Guys, that's not kindness if you're doing it just so people will attend your church. Dramatic pause. (laughs) Listen, guys, if you put kindness into your marriage, if you begin to catch them doing something right, if you say nice things, if you appreciate the things that you previously took for granted, it would mend marriages. Just you coming in with kindness with no other agenda would begin to heal marriage. Walls would begin to come down. Listen, you are such a good provider. I love the way you go to work. Listen, you can find good in any person. Even Hitler probably did something. Oh, Hitler, the way you folded your Nazi uniform. I don't know what he did, right? I mean, so you're such a good provider. The way you go to work every day, I love the way you take care of the kids. I love the way you fix this drain. My wife's never said anything about me fixing anything before, but, uh, but perhaps it applies to other people here. If you begin to do something unexpected, let's say the spouse typically folds the laundry and you fold the laundry. Let's say that whatever it might be, you just begin, that kindness begins to bring a different atmosphere. It's an atmosphere from a different world when it comes with no ulterior motives. Love does not envy. Well, he gets to go golfing all the time. He's got, he buys fishing gear. I don't get to buy anything. She gets to go out with her friends all the time. Well, I'm stuck at home. And you know, as soon as I get home, I watch the kids and she takes off. And listen, guys, God's kind of love is not jealous. God's kind of love is selfless. And here's the thing is most marriages, they don't begin with God's kind of love. Can we just be honest? This is something we have to learn. We're going to look at a passage in Titus where it says the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. So it's something that can be learned. All right? Like I said, most of us are walking around ready to pour out unconditional love. It's something we have to learn. And so, um, uh, again, so, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. It doesn't matter who you're married to, their performance will fail at some point. And if your love is based on performance, what they can do for you, how they make you feel, um, it will never be enough. It's going to fail. Um, Love does not boast. Another translation says it is not proud. Um, So much of what happens in a marriage is self-seeking. There's a tremendous amount of selfishness. And so um, they're going to do something that's not fair. And if you're looking for marriage to be fair, you're going to have problems. Okay, if you're looking for right, and so it's like, hold on, they did something wrong, and now they apologize, and I'm just supposed to forgive them? That's not fair. Man, it is. It's quiet up here. Look, if you're looking for a relationship where no one treats you wrong, you should have stayed single. (laughs) 
If you're looking for justice and to be treated right all the time, it will not happen. Okay, there will be conflict, there will be neglect, and there will be selfishness. I'll love you as long as you treat me right. You're never going to be able to do that. I love my mate, but, and they begin to try to justify their lack of love based on this person's behavior. Guys, what are you doing? You're stepping back into a worldly kind of love that ties it to performance. You're stepping back into a contract marriage that says, I'll love you if, I'll love you until you do this one thing. Bible tells us the truth when it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so that selfless type of love, what's it going to do? That, um, when you begin loving people selflessly, it's going to cause them to love you back. Like, I don't know about you, like, if, that, if everyone's ever, like, loved on your kids, like, I didn't really think much of them before, but I'm like, I really like that person. What are they doing? They're just selflessly loving my kids. Love just kind of comes back as a response. Let me, just, uh, let me just make this clear. There's no solution in marriage that doesn't include dealing with yourself. If you begin thinking the other person is the problem, that's a bigger problem than the problem. The only person who can do the changing is you. And you're like, well, yeah, I, I understand that. But they really, no, no, no. That, that's that selfishness that thinks it's all about the other person. When two become one, when that one begins to change, it affects the unity. Love does not dishonor others. It's not rude. Okay, love never acts in an unbecoming way. Um, I love you so much, I just couldn't keep my hands off you before marriage. That's not love, it's lust. So if you're dating someone who's pressuring you for sex, that is not God's kind of love, that's lust. Doesn't mean they're not the right person, it just means you guys need to chill it. (laughs) You guys need to set yourself up for success. Here's a little tip. (laughs) Don't do Bible studies and prayer alone before dating. You can start off in the spirit and wind up in the flesh so fast you can't even believe it. It's like you're in the spirit one second and you're like two Greco-Roman wrestlers the next second. (laughs) That one was not in the notes. (laughs) While they were dating. Oh, yeah, once you're married, two Greco-Roman wrestlers on a trampoline all the time. Yeah. Like as much as possible. Yes. Sorry, kids. (laughs) My kids are like, Dad, when are you doing the talk about sex and marriage? Can we get a free pass on that one? I'm like, yeah, you get a free pass. You don't don't have to listen to your dad talk about sex with mom. Okay, there we go. Actually, I will not be talking about sex with mom. I will be talking about the Bible's perspective on sex. (laughs) Just to be clear. You know what's actually horrible is my next phrase in here, love will never embarrass or cause you to blush. I'm so sorry, babe. I'm literally breaking this verse right here. So let's move to the next one. Love is not easily angered or irritable. I love how the Passion Translation puts it, and I'm going to add a couple of the footnotes in the Passion Translation. Love is not easily irritated, overly sensitive, having sharp edges, or quick to take offense. Oh, man, I might need to tap into some of that, just to be honest with you. Uh, Love never lets you become Mr. Krabby Pants. That would be the Baker Translation there. Guys, if you're walking around with a chip on your shoulder or you have a short fuse, listen, God's kind of love is the cure for what ails you. You're going to need to step on it. That will, that will help your marriage. I love, but I just have a temper. No, well, that's earthly love. But God's inviting you to say, listen, you've got access to something different. He wants you to receive something different. Do you know how many people think God is just on the verge of wiping out America? He has just about had it with those Republicans. He's just about had it with those Democrats. He's just about had it with San Francisco. And if God doesn't judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, if God does judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus because he already took out all of his wrath on the cross on his son. When his son became sin. It wasn't child abuse. He who knew no sin became sin. Whole other message. Are we doing okay? Not trying to condemn. Just trying to say, guys, we need God to open up our hearts to receive his kind of love. Because whoever God is to you, he will be through you. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Listen, guys, love doesn't rehearse the negatives. It dwells on the positives. Listen, I'm not saying that, oh, oh, they're just acting like a jerk, and I never address it. I just, I just keep eating it. No, there's a time to address things, and there's a way to address things. But if you don't have love in your heart when you address those things, it's going to come across as frustration and anger. Okay, 
God's, uh, so it's okay to address things in marriage. The point is God's kind of love doesn't stay camped there. You can take a good marriage and make it bad by dwelling on the negative. And you can take a bad marriage and make it good by dwelling on the positive. By showing God's kind of love. So when you first fall in love, you're oblivious to the problems. You don't see any of these things. They're not bothering you the way they chew. The, the, I mean, whatever it might be. I mean, I don't know. And so you're, you're, not, you're, not keeping, you're, not, you're not keeping a list to use in a fight. But somehow it's like you get married later on and it's like you're fighting. And it's like, well, give me an example. I was hoping you would ask. And you pull out this whole list because you've been keeping a record of wrongs. Right? And so here's God's kind of love. Well, give me an example. I quit making lists. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sharing my heart with you, right? My dad, when uh, growing up, apparently we must have been bringing up stuff, throwing in each other's faces, uh, my sister and I. And so he made a rule, the two-week rule. And so he's like, listen, if you've got something in your heart that's, uh, that's gone sideways, you need to deal quickly with the person, and you're not allowed to bring up anything past two weeks. Boy, that took away a lot of ammunition. <laughs> and you know what? It, it trained us to begin to have short accounts and keep no record of wrongs took care of a lot of things. God's kind of love covers these things, but it covers a multitude of, yeah, even your spouses, even your kids, even your parents, even your pastors, even your pastors. Oh, there we go. I don't know. Thank you. Yea, that I say unto thee. There's, there's other aspects of God's love, but I, I wanted you guys just... Uh, Okay, as, as we're going through this, I want you, I want you to take some time this, more, this week and, uh, and just go through that list. Write down 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 8. And I want you to go through that. And I want you to just say, Lord, I've fallen short in these things, but I'm seeing that I've got access to something different. I'm going to give you a way to, to activate that more, but I think it's important to diagnose. Because if you never choose, you never decide, God, I'm going to become love. You're never going to do it. No one's going to drift into this. So I want us to begin to see, and I want, I want us to get a, a vision just to begin to rise up on the inside. I want to become this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how next week. So I, I want us to do that. But as we, as we uh, circle in for a landing here, um, remember we said God is love? All of those things that we just said, love is patient, love is kind, I'm going to insert the word God instead of love. You guys ready for this? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So what I'm trying to say is we need to receive love before we can become love. And, um, you know, we didn't do anything to earn God's love, and so there's nothing we can do to lose it. Did you know that God loves CNN as much as the people at Fox News, even though the two are becoming closer? Anyway, he loves Hitler as much as he does Billy Graham. He loves Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and ISIS all the same. God sometimes pictured out as the policeman out on patrol just looking to bust people. Look, who's got this sin? That's the Holy Spirit's job, just looking around for someone who has a wrong thought. No, I can just think of him. He's more like the father from Finding Nemo. Going on an all-out search party, overcoming any obstacles to bring that lost child home. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16 in the NIV. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? No way. And have no compassion on the child she was born? Mm -mm. Though she may forget... I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. You guys ready for this? Whenever I look at God in my imagination, I see that he is smiling on the verge of a delighted laugh. How do you picture God? Smiling on the verge of a delighted laugh. The whole of the Godhead is laughing for joy, that I'm looking at them, that I'm daring to connect with them. Zephaniah 3.17 says he's rejoicing over you with singing. God actually, we can actually affect God's heart with our attention towards him. He's made himself that vulnerable. The shepherd, uh, 
found the sheep that was lost. In the eyes of so many believers, a shepherd would have been. I, there was a stupid teaching back in the 70s. I don't know if you guys remember this. But, you know, the shepherd went and he found the lost sheep. And then he took his staff and broke the legs. Of, you guys remember this stupid thing? Broke the legs of the sheep. But then he wore it like a, like a scarf and he comforted it. And it's like, guys, that is an invented God that is going out and breaking the legs of the sheep to teach it a lesson. But then now that's some kind of perverted, like, I, I'm, I'm going to punish you, but it's actually love and Guys, there's, there's nothing like that in the Bible. That's an invented, distorted face of God that religion's given us. What's God's like? He says he, he is the one who pursued the sheep. He didn't like, stupid sheep. You, get what you, get, you got what's coming to you. He went out and got the sheep. And that had, it, it had upset the life of the, of the whole ranch. It's full of mistakes. And he goes and picks it up. And he does put it on like a scarf, but the legs are just fine. What, what are these parables saying? He's saying, this is what God's like. So let me ask you this. Have you experienced the love of God? Because whoever, whoever he is to you, he will be through you. And so before we get to releasing this kind of love to our spouse, I want to make sure we're seeing God correctly, that we can actually receive the love of God. There's a difference between hearing about God's love and experiencing his delight over you. There's a difference between a lecture on a laugh and having a good belly laugh. There's a good a difference between reading an article about kissing and having a big, wet, sloppy kiss. Like two Greco-Roman wrestlers. I don't even know where that came from, but I'm sticking with it. What if you personalize God's love and favor in your life? I am actually circling for landing. That's how you know a message is anointed when they close more than once. And so, I used to think that John was the favorite of Jesus' disciples because he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. So I, was under, I thought maybe he's got some kind of special favor with Jesus. This is incredible. And I discovered the secret of John's favor. Are you guys ready for this? The phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is only found in one book of the Bible. Does anyone want to guess what book of the Bible where John is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Can I, let's just say it together. One, two, three. Yeah. John used that to describe himself. All right? What was he doing? He was personalizing the love of Jesus, that love that Jesus had for him. Guys, we all get to be God's favorites. Okay? Just say this over yourself. I'm going I'm to say it and you repeat it after me. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. But what if you made that declaration a couple times a day this week? I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. The secret to John's favor was the personalization of God's love. What would it look like for you to see that as part of your identity? Maybe you need to make it your screensaver. Maybe you need to put a sticky note on your mirror. Maybe you need to put a little card in, uh, you know, in your visor and read it when you get in the car. I want us to be a church that grows in the consciousness of the Father's unconditional love for us. I want you to grow in favor consciousness, in uh, a consciousness of him being for us so that we can represent God because you can't give away what you don't have. Here's the good news. The Bible says we have it. We're going to learn how to give it away, but I want us to know it by experience. Closing story, third closing. There was an Oregon pastor who was a counselor at a state mental institution. When he arrived and for the next several weeks, no one responded to him. Most of the people there could not communicate or take care of themselves physically and had no interest in the young pastor who only wanted to help them. Sometimes they even laughed at him. Then one day, the pastor felt God tell him to sit down in the middle of the room and sing, Jesus loves me, over and over for a full hour. Nothing happened, but he didn't know what else to do. So for several weeks, he just kept coming, sitting down on the floor and singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Time went by, and one day the pastor noticed that one of the patients were singing with him. He kept going, and before too long, others joined. In one month, 36 of the patients were moved from the critical care area of the mental hospital to a place where they were responsible for themselves. They had improved that dramatically. Before the year was over, all but two of the patients who had listened to the pastor sing were well enough to leave the hospital. Man. I think Andrew Womack says it like this. Uh, God's kind of love is the cure for what ails you. Man, it'll, it'll cure your marriage. It'll cure your relationship with your kids. It'll cure a lot of the, I, I believe, 80% of your health is just your emotional state. Your body was not made to release all that cortisol and stress hormones. All right, so I'm going to close. <laughs> You're like, we don't even believe you. This is the only time where lying is acceptable for, for, for pastors. So why don't you guys stand and let me read this over here. Come on. I'm going to read this over you. It's Romans 8, verses 31 through 39 in the Passion Translation. I think it'll be up on the screen, but if you want, you can just close your eyes and let it wash over you. So what does all this mean? 
If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold for us from anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued the final verdict over you, not guilty. Who then's left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could, anyone, how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for us, for our triumph? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's trouble, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. This is closing number five. <laughs> I just uh, was sensing some things kind of flying around in the spirit, so I wanted to address a couple of things, which you can help me do this first one is, um, I think like sometimes when people hear loving unconditionally, they're saying, well, it's hard for me to do that because it seems like I'm accepting their behavior. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to those people who are kind of thinking that right now? Yeah, again, uh, in, a, in a covenant marriage and a loving relationship, there's going to be lots of confrontation. Okay, and, and there's a way to do confrontation, but uh, confrontation, the, the problem is the enemy. The person isn't the enemy. If you can hug them, they're not your enemy. Okay, and so just, just, that, just that approach will change your heart towards that person. And so, yeah, so it, it looks a lot like, hey, when you said this, man, it made me feel worthless. And I know that wasn't your heart, but I'm just, I'm just trying to share. When you communicate like that to me, it hurts, right? And I didn't say, you're a jerk. You don't believe in me. You're this and that. What do we do? I said, listen, listen. when you said that, man, that really hurt. I know, I know that's not how you meant it to come across. I'm just letting you know. I'm not controlling her behavior. I'm taking my heart and putting it out there. Now, she has the choice now to squash my heart and say, too bad. I'm going to keep loving you. Probably not going to do that again real soon. But I'm, I'm going to keep loving you. You see what I'm saying? But I, I can't make her value this. Okay, all I can do is take it out, put it out there, and if she, if she values this, trust is built. Yeah. If she stomps on it, there's a disconnect. It's like our behavior trains people how to respond to us. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, so I just wanted to, I just kind of heard that around. The second thing is, um, if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, and um, you're kind of, you've just been really struggling with this area, especially... One thing I just wanted to put out there was when, you, when you're in relationship with somebody, not your spouse or your spouse, anybody, when you're in close relationship with them and um, you try to change them with words instead of your love actions, um, and you know, you've been trying with words this whole time and, and it's just not taking, it's because you need to understand is the Bible is not their standard of truth. The Bible is our standard of truth. And so, you know, the scripture says the, the kindness of God brings us to repentance. That's good, and so that's why it's so important for us to reflect God, reflect his love, reflect his kindness to bring people to Jesus. And, um, I mean, that's the whole reason we're here, right, <laughs> is we're here to bring, be Jesus for people to bring them to Jesus. And so that's it. And just so you know, just stay up here with me. Um, all of this is impossible. To be patient, to be kind, to love unconditionally, absolutely impossible. Okay, but with God, all things are possible. Okay, so I, I'm not trying to present the new old covenant. 
oh, you thought the old covenant was bad. Now you got to love unconditionally. Yeah. No, no, we're not, we're not talking about that. Next, I, I, really, I just, you can see I, I can't do it in one message. And so next week we're going to look at how do you live from that realm? How do, you li- how do you tap into that supernatural realm that's already inside of you? It's not something that I must do. Holy cow, it's already here. How do I release it? It's going to be such good news. But this week I wanted us to go, man, uh, how about some reality? Is I'm, I'm not living in this. I, and so I want to. I'm going to learn how to next week. I want to, but also that, wow, God. Look at what you've got for me. So we're going to close, and we're going to sing a song called Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And I'm so glad you're up here to help me sing this. I'm going to mute my mic. All right, I'll just get you started. Jesus loves me. Jesus, 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 thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. And we pray you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, not just a head knowledge of these things, no guilt and condemnation, but, Lord, an excitement of what we have access to. I thank you that you're moving powerfully in the marriages of this church. You're moving powerfully in the marriage of anyone who's listening to this. You're moving powerfully in the marriages of America. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that marriage is your idea, and we want to do it your way. So I bless your people to have kingdom marriages, to have God's kind of love in their marriage growing and growing, and it's going to affect their children. It's going to infect their neighborhood. And so we thank you for Jesus. Amen.